Hello again. I'm Mark Harry, and thank you for joining me once more as we're going to the army. Hello once more, and it's my pleasure to give you all a big, warm Salvation Army welcome to this latest podcast. I want to say a big thank you to those who've donated since the last episode, which has allowed us to renew our subscription to Podomatic for another year. Sadly, we've run out of storage space, so some of the earliest podcasts will no longer be available now, but I'm hoping to make them available somewhere else as soon as I can. Anyway, on with another feast of Salvation Army music, and where better to start than the Western USA and a march composed by Dudley Bright for the Western Music Institute there back in 1981. Spirit of the West.
Now, many of you listeners have, I know because you've told me so often, very fond memories of the old Bandmasters and Songster Leaders Councils festivals at the Royal Albert Hall. And although these events are now sadly a thing of the past, it's great to have so many recordings of those occasions. And our opening song this month comes from one such festival way back in 1966, yes, 50 years ago, where a thousand voices joined together to proudly proclaim that they would never run away.
William Pearson's grand old song there. The only shame for me is that so many have, over the years, sung such words, only to find the going a bit too hard and go back on their word. Does that include any of you? I certainly hope not. But don't forget, it's never too late. Regular listeners to the podcast will know that I'm a great fan of the songs and music of Major Howard Davis. The first time I ever heard this next piece was at the International Congress back in 1978, when as a young teenage lad I walked around the old Wembley Stadium soaking up the atmosphere as bands and songsters by the dozen performed little mini-festivals. It was Enfield Band again who captured my attention that day as Bandmaster Williams encouraged the passers-by to join in the singing, along with the first movement of the suite, Joy and Devotion. And so we all stood there singing about the sweet birds tweeting their happy little songs in our hearts. Of course, the suite is made up of four songs written by another great Australian songwriter and officer, Arthur Arnott. Albeit a writer from a generation long before Howard Davis's own time. Your task is calling you and mine is calling me and Jesus Thou Art Everything also feature in this fine work. And in keeping with the Antipodean theme, it's played for us today by the Camberwell Citadel Band from Melbourne. Thank you. 
that's a great little suite, isn't it, from the Triumph series there. And I've just started rehearsing that piece with our own band here in Lincoln. Something I discovered about Arthur Arnott while preparing this podcast was that he was one of five sons born to the owner and founder of Arnott's Biscuits in Australia. When Arthur left his father's employ to become a Salvation Army officer in 1906, the family introduced a biscuit called the SAO in his honour, the initials standing for Salvation Army officer. Well, I've never tasted one myself, but should I ever be privileged enough to venture down under, I really must seek one out. As this podcast unfolds, you'll notice a slightly lower representation than usual by singers and singing groups. That's due to the special feature that we'll be hearing about very soon. But before we do, and staying in Melbourne once again as we hear from that city's fine staff songsters, this is Peter Ayling's Universal Praise. Sing those praises of place and time. 
This month's special feature. I first encountered Clarence Adu sometime in the dim and distant past when he was a cornet player in the old East London youth band, and we as a family attended a concert of theirs that was taking place in one of the places we were enjoying a summer holiday. And then in 1990, as so-called worship bands were being introduced to National Salvation Army events, I was privileged to play alongside Clarence in a youth event at Wembley Arena. We were two of the four trumpet and trombone players in amongst all the guitars, keyboards and drums for that occasion. By then, of course, Clarence was a highly respected Salvationist musician who worked as a professional player with several of the country's best symphony orchestras as well as still being the bandmaster of the Schubert S Corps and a renowned cornet soloist in his own right. We'll be hearing from Clarence himself shortly, and we'll share his story. But first, we're going to hear one of two pieces from a new CD produced by one of the country's top contesting bands. The Fairy Band, under the direction of my friend John Ward, have recorded the CD Quintessence, as one of a series of albums that have been made in order to raise funds to support Clarence. Again, more of that later. But this disc features music that's all been composed by Colonel Robert Redhead, himself a former bandmaster of the International Staff Band. The first piece we're going to hear is based on the old song Follow, I Will Follow Thee, My Lord, Follow Every Passing Day. My tomorrows are all known to thee. Thou wilt lead me all the way. Conducted by the composer himself. This, then, is the fairy band with I Will Follow Thee.
To many British Salvationists, and some overseas, the name of Bandmaster Clarence Adu is a familiar one. Clarence worshipped at Shoebury Ness, a core on the English coast not very far from London. He travelled the country as a professional musician with much promise, until a nasty road accident in 1995 stripped him of his mobility and his career. Clarence, who now attends Newcastle City Temple Corps in the North East, went on to become a great inspiration, despite his serious injuries. He told Brian Nichols how he came to the army in the first instance. Well, I was fostered with my brother and two sisters to a family in Shoebury Nest who were Salvationists. So naturally, on a Sunday from a very, very, very young age, we were all taken to um, the uh, Sunday school at the Salvation Army, and so we, we, we grew up really uh, with it. Uh, and did you play in the band there? Yeah, from the age of six, I found myself having an opportunity with um, uh, a cornet um, to try and make some notes, and so uh, we, I was soon in a little junior band that they had, which later, as I, you know, get into teenage years, uh, you, you went and go into the senior band. Now, as a professional, um, you're a trumpet player. Um, how did that switch come about? Well, um, um, I, I wanted to do music as a career and loved playing the cornet. I knew that in the profession it was trumpet. So I telephoned the Royal College of Music to just confirm that the person playing um, the piano for me was all organized for my uh, audition. And um, um, when I contacted the college, um, they told me that the auditions for college had to be on the trumpet. Um, so I had to urgently dash out and get myself um, a trumpet. And uh, so I turned up at the audition and um, I played this new shiny trumpet. The, um, the uh, people on the board said to me, how long have you been playing uh, the trumpet? And I said, do you mean the cornet? And they said, no, the trumpet. And I said, since Tuesday. And so they asked me to uh, wait outside whilst they discussed um, whether I was serious enough about um, doing this as a career. So um, you were serious enough, uh, and you had quite a career and you've played such a range of music can you tell me a bit more about that well um, basically Brian as a student I wanted to play 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 every single day of the week and so I couldn't wait to just Saturday afternoons to rehearse with an orchestra so I got out there and I went to um, play in uh, jazz bands and West End shows and um, eventually met people like uh, Courtney Pine um, and uh, played along inside a band that he was running, which was fantastic um, experience. Um, I also got uh, um, involved with um, Cliff Richard on some tours that he was doing in Britain. So, um, yeah, from pop groups, uh, theatre, brass band, orchestra, um, I was very interested to learn about all the different styles. That's quite a range, um, but there might be somebody who, who would say, but... You're a Salvation Army bandsman. Yes. Indeed, you're a bandmaster. Um, should you not be dedicating your your life to Salvation Army music and not this other stuff? Well, this is something I, I had to think about as well. And 
Um, to get it right, um, I prayed regularly to God to show me, and I simply said, I'm not sure which path I should be going down, but if I should be going into music, you please open the doors. Um, you know, I wasn't, uh, I didn't have that much experience in those early days, and um, and and if it's not something I should be involved with, um, slam the door. So back to the cornet, I, I understand a very important part of your Salvation Army service was when you were invited to play a cornet solo uh, with the International Staff Band at the Royal Albert Hall. Tell me about that. Well, what an honour and a privilege. Uh, for me to uh, get that opportunity. Um, a piece of music was uh, written specially for the uh, occasion, and um, it meant that uh, Norman Beercroft um, had written this piece called On the Golden Shore, um, and it meant um, you know going along and um, playing in a, an Albert Hall um, full, of, uh, f full of people, um, and as a youngster, I remember looking uh, onto the stage of the Albert Hall, wondering how it would have felt to ever play on that stage. Let's listen to that solo now. It's called On the Golden Shore, and it's uh, Clarence Adu with the International Staff Band.
Clarence, you've been in a wheelchair for some 20 years now. How did that come about? Well, I was travelling down to um, uh, Essex to um, celebrate my brother's uh, stag do prior to his wedding the week after. I was travelling down the A1, got halfway down, maybe as far as Nottingham. Then the car started to misbehave. I managed to get it across to the hard shoulder. Um, the car went up this steep bank as I braked, and um, it rolled over and uh, somersaulted back down, ended up facing the oncoming traffic. I was then uh, later taken to the spinal unit in Sheffield Hospital where they diagnosed me as being paralysed from the neck downwards. How did you realise that you had no movement? Um, it, I, I didn't know straight away that I was paralysed. Um, I, I, shortly after arriving in hospital, I was given a lot of medication and um, became confused for a little while. And um, um, after a while, I remember waking up and trying to take my left arm out of the bed to take, change the television channel. Um, and I couldn't see my arm and it wasn't moving. Um, it then was a slow realisation that this was far, far more serious than um, I had believed at the time. Uh, I realised that um, this meant paralysis, which could last the whole of my life, especially as I was told that there was currently no cure for this. So how did your faith come against that, this is God that you believe in and, and, and love and are committed to, uh, and, and suddenly uh, a very well-respected musician has lost the use of his arms and legs. Um, did that make you hate God? No, I, I, as I slowly accepted and understood what it meant, I didn't have any bitterness or anger at that particular time. Um, I felt that I'd come into some crossroads and I had to make a decision whether to um, try and accept and you know, turn right at this T-junction and, um, um, and try and see what could be available for me uh, um, lifestyle-wise, bearing in mind I'd never got out of bed at that stage. Or the other thing was that to feel sorry for myself. And I had good reason to do that. And I thought, well, let's maybe try this positive route and see how far I would get. Um, and it was one day when I had a respiratory arrest, and uh, I was coming um, back around, and um, uh, I heard God saying to me that he had a plan and purpose um, for my life. The second thing is, this voice said that I didn't need to worry about any, anything that uh, he would take care of me. And the third thing, which I found quite amusing was, is that my life was going to be more fulfilled you know, than it, it was um, at that point. It's going to be more fulfilled um, in, in the future years, saying to God, well, I don't know if you're totally aware of this, but at the moment I can't move a muscle. Injuries like yours, uh, a lot of people would have given up. But uh, you took God at his word, and yeah. you, you, you've continued to be upbeat. And a lot of people have described you as 
inspirational. And good things have happened to you. You said your life was going to be more fulfilled. What sort of things have, have happened in that time? Well, first of all, I mean, I, I thought, well, how can God use me? I can't get out of bed. I can't move a finger. And um, two weeks um, after they took this ventilator away from me, which is a big positive thing, um, after they took this ventilator away, I had a visitor from a young lad who was a trumpet player that I knew, and he said to me that he has just become a Christian, and could he come and visit me once a fortnight and chat about the Bible, because he didn't understand it, and he wanted to become a Christian. And then I saw straight away that it wasn't, I wasn't able to work out how this could have happened, but straight away I realized that God's plan of using me was going to be uh, in this amazing way, uh, completely different to what I had uh, thought or expected. So from that point onwards, you know, people were interested um, in my development. It was shortly after Christopher Reeve um, had had this big injury, which um, the whole country was quite interested to see how that followed. And so locally up here in Newcastle, um, the local television came down and said that they wanted to uh, make a little news clip. And so they came down um, and uh, was asking me some questions. And I had to uh, say that I felt the positive way that I did from an experience that I had in the hospital with God. And so already uh, I was spreading the message, um, you know, without even thinking about it, from the hospital bed. And what about musically? What, what opportunities have you had that you wouldn't otherwise have had? Well, it, it's laughable. First of all, you know, when you're lying there, in my mind, I thought, well, I'm not sure I can accept that I'll never do music again. I started playing at the age of six, and to me, it was like eating and drinking. It was just um, a part of my life. And so, um, you know, the, the first amazing thing was that my uh, a chief executive of the Northern Symphonia said, there are a couple of jobs, Clarence, that you'll be able to do, I believe. And um, so I had a job already, which was to look after the management of the orchestra and then do some education work. So to receive a job in that condition was amazing. And then slowly it was um, uh, uh, very interesting that people would contact me and say, I'm looking at uh, developing an instrument that you might be able to play. And so um, in time, an instrument called uh, Headspace was created, which is an instrument that um, uh, is computer-based. Um, um, but that enabled me to take part in performing again. How do you operate Headspace then, uh, if it's a computer? Well, um, what, uh, I have a plug-in headset, uh, similar to what I use uh, on a daily basis. And so uh, it's got sensors uh, on my head that I move from left to right and up and down. And so I could choose, it's got keyboards on it, I could choose certain uh, notes and things to, uh, to start with. And so at first it was turning notes and pitches on and off. But that wasn't good enough, really. We need to make it a bit more creative. Um, so we introduced volume and all of these different things. Um, and um, so by moving my head from side to side, I could have control of the left click on the mouse. And then also on my left-hand side, 
um, I have a, a little tube that goes into the side of my mouth, which I use to uh, activate the click or continuous note on, and different things like that. So um, it took some learning because it was very different to um, anything else, and so uh, I took become completely focused and learn another instrument. But you've done that, and uh, I understand that got you a performance with the Olympics. Well, <laughs> it was, you know, that, that's how laughable things can be, you know. I mean, the first, the first job I had, and we had never, there was no music ever written for this instrument, of course, was um, I got a message back from the Queen's composer at the time, which was uh, Sir Peter Maxwell Davis, who ran a music festival up in Orkney, and out of the blue, uh, I got this message saying that he wanted me and my group to finish off um, the music festival. And so, again, that was another honour to go up and do that, especially with an instrument that nobody had heard about. And then from there, um, I was involved um, with putting together with a few friends, um, being a founder member of um, the British Power Orchestra. And this was going to be another uh, music uh, ensemble that was going to be bigger than my quartet and um, uh, w this orchestra grew and grew we went to audition for the Olympics which was only nine months after we got together and to our amazement um, they wanted us to play um, in the closing ceremony That was at the Paralympics wasn't it? At the Paralympics with, with Coldplay who had already doing the music and so they wondered if we could work together so that was an amazing experience as well. So the accident hasn't stopped you um, playing with, with A-class musicians. You operate uh, headspace by the movements in your head which I understand that's about the only part of the body you can move now um, but I also understand that you are able to conduct using this. It was very strange when I got back um, to work really um, in the Sage Gates Head with the, the Royal Northern Symphonia. I was um, directing some little student groups and um, you know trying to get them to play correctly and style and rhythm and things. And people heard about this and very slowly a uh, uh, local amateur orchestra they invited me to come down and um, tutor them. I thought well they know I can't use my arms um, but if they're happy for me to come down, then I'm on my way. So um, I went along and um, started um, uh, conducting, if you would say, or directing um, this um, uh, uh, amateur orchestra. And from there, that's blossomed to other op opportunities of um, uh, conducting. From a Salvation Army perspective, you've conducted the International Staff Band. And we can see this on the, the video that, that you've produced called Music, The Sound of Hope. But this is a very special piece. Can you tell me about it? Yes. Um, the International Staff Band um, performed a march called Shubriness. I was in bed one night and, uh, and I, to me, my upbringing down at Salvation Army in Shubriness uh, very much shaped my start in life and so um, uh, I've always wanted to do something musically to um, thank or remember uh, those days. Um, Alif Herestat was a friend of mine uh, from Norway 
I'd done some music schools in different places, and I contacted him with an email, and I'd asked if he could write me a a march, and I wanted him. I said, not any old march. I want you to write the best march that's ever been written. <laughs> and um, the uh, second sentence, I think I said, um, uh, this is for a special video. And um, uh, uh, lastly, I asked if he could do it within three or four weeks. Um, so there were no demands there. And he replied with an email back to me saying, um, um, I was fine until I received your email. And um, he came up with the goods uh, a week or so early. And so I wanted the staff band to perform this um, on this video, um, and they did. And uh, just two minutes before they started to um, uh, record it, um, the international staff bandmaster asked if I would conduct it. I said, well, I've not studied the score properly, and, um, and there was no space between me and the microphone. To put a to put a, a music stand, so I had to just get on with it. We'll, we'll hear that march with uh, the ISB conducted by Clarence Adu. I should say at this point, it is in fact Dr. Clarence Adu, MBE, where people have bestowed honours on you for the way that you you've handled your life and your music since uh, the accident. So well done, Clarence, and thank you. <laughs>
like to see the video of Clarence conducting the International Staff Band and musical tributes from some other famous musicians, you can buy Clarence's DVD, Music, The Sound of Hope. For details of this and more about Clarence, please visit his website at www.clarence.org.uk. The CD Quintessence, featuring the music of Robert Redhead, is also available to purchase, and you can get that on iTunes and also at www.melodiesforclarence.com, along with some other items previously produced to support Clarence in that series, featuring music by Dean Goffin and Eric Lydson. I'm sure you'll all agree with me that that interview was both humbling and inspirational. How much we all take for granted. Well, God bless you, Clarence, and thank you for sharing your story with us here on Going to the Army. And now we're going to hear the title track from the CD by the fairy band, Quintessence. This piece was written for the visit by the Melbourne Staff Band to the International Congress of 1978, and it celebrates the spirit of the pioneers of the Salvation Army in Australia. As well as popular army tunes like the Christian Mission, we'll also hear an Australian sheep shearer's song and advance Australia Fair, the national anthem. But the piece reaches its climax with that wonderful melody by L.J. Rowlands, with which we associate words by Susie Barker. At thy feet I bow adoring, bending low and lower still. That familiar chorus was written by two Australian Salvationists so very long ago. Quintessence. Thank you. 
I want to say a very big thank you indeed to John Ward and the Fairy Band for allowing us to use the excerpts that we have in this Going to the Army podcast. Please support Clarence by buying the CD and the DVD. What an inspiration to us all, Clarence is. A lesson I learned through listening to Clarence's story and testimony is that whatever life can throw at us, Whatever challenges we face from day to day, no mountain is ever insurmountable with Jesus at our side. And the crosses we have to bear will never outweigh the grace of Jesus Christ. We're going to be reminded of that now by a famous American vocalist called Frank Boggs, who as well as singing on many of the Billy Graham campaigns, also recorded an LP of Salvation Army songs in the 1980s, the arrangements for which were all written by Stephen Buller. And so here is Ballington Booth's perennial 1893 favourite, The Cross is Not Greater Than His Grace. The cup which I drink not more bitter than he drank in Gethsemane. The cross is not greater than his grave. The storm cannot hide his blessed face. I am satisfied to know that with Jesus here below I can conquer every foe. The light of his love shines 
the brighter as it falls on paths of the toil of my work will grow lighter as I stoop to raise the load. The cross is not greater than his grace. The storm cannot hide his blessed face. I am satisfied to know that with Jesus here below, I can conquer every foe. I can conquer And with that promise, we reach the end of another Going to the Army podcast. To play us out, though, we have Harold Scotney's ever-popular march, The Wellingtonian, and it's played for us here by the Portsmouth Citadel Band. Let's all sing along with that final verse. In mansions of glory and endless delight, I'll ever adore thee and dwell in thy sight. And sing with the glittering crown on my brow, if ever I loved thee, my Jesus, tis now. Cheerio, and God bless you all until next time.